0: The Daily Tap is live for Friday. We are talking the Bucks-Bulls preview matchup, full tail of the tape. Uh, We'll talk about the games that happen. We'll talk about what's going to happen in this series, break it all down. I'm excited to do that. We're going to talk about the Packers signing Sammy Watkins, what that means, what that could mean for the draft. We'll get into all of that. And then lastly, we will do one positive, one negative from Brewers opening day win. And if we have time for a truck's corner, my war with the notary. I promise you, we will tell the notary story. It just keeps getting bumped. Shit keeps happening. Uh, what, what can you do, right? But what you could do is follow us on social media, Tapping the Keg on Twitter, Tapping the Keg Sports, on Instagram, Facebook, as well as TikTok. Uh, if you're new to the program, maybe you're a Murph fan, maybe you're a Shea Ken fan, and you're like, all right, we'll check these guys out for another round, Um Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple or Spotify. We are on both. We are also on other podcast apps. So if you don't do Apple or Spotify, you do something else, we're probably there too. Um, So make sure you're subscribed. And if you are subscribed already, if you've been a longtime listener, the least you could do is leave us a review, leave us a rating. We'd really appreciate it, one or the other, or both. Uh, It would be really great uh, to see all of you sort of show that support. All right, let's move on to the Milwaukee Bucks. So Milwaukee Bucks are taking on the Chicago Bulls. They kick it off on Easter Sunday at 5.30. So for most people, not including myself, you will be done with your Easter festivities. You'll be able to sit down and watch the Bucks take on the Bulls for game one of the NBA playoffs. They then play again on Wednesday, Friday, and Sunday. And then you go into game five, game six, and game seven if necessary. There are a lot of people that assume the Milwaukee Bucks will sweep the Chicago Bulls. I think that's a little bit reckless, I'll be honest. Uh, first of all, the Bucks always play poorly in game number one. And then secondly, uh, the it's hard to sweep teams. It's just not something that happens that often. Uh, I know the Bucks did it last year, but it's definitely something that is more difficult than the eye perceives. I realize that Chicago is probably in the, if you had to power rank the entire, like, teams chicago's probably last right if cleveland doesn't win but i don't expect cleveland to beat atlanta like i think atlanta underperformed all year and now atlanta to me like this is a little bit of a spicy take but i almost would rather play brooklyn than atlanta like, I think Atlanta is playing really well, and I think I saw Russillo say that he, they should be a five seed, and he's absolutely right. Like Atlanta should have been the five or the six. like The Bucks and Hawks, if that was the matchup um, coming up on Sunday, I think I'd be a lot more nervous about Milwaukee's chances And if Chicago and Cleveland were battling for the eighth seed. I think that would make a lot more sense to me than seeing what, what's going on with the Atlanta Hawks. But that's not how basketball works. It's not how the cookie crumbles. So you have Bucks. Bulls, and there's a chance for the Bucks to win, I think, with their first series against the Bulls since the 80s. Uh, it was early Jordan that I think the Bull, the Bucs were able to get the Bulls. I'd have to fact check that, but they have played in playoffs before. Uh, the famous Mike Dunleavy series with Giannis attacking Dunleavy in the last game is the notable one. It was the first playoff appearance for the Bucks in the Giannis era. Still a very young Antetokounmpo uh, playing in that one, and then the ascent started from there. Uh, the Bucks were, I think, a seven seed against Boston and but took Boston the seven games it was a sort of a sign of the future Joe Prunty was just a bad coach and then the first year Bud leads the Eastern Conference Finals and you guys know the story from there so we're breaking down these matchups if we're looking back at what happened during the year uh, the Bucks did sweep the Bulls in the regular season and the games were interesting because they were all different Um, game three and game four have a little bit of a similarity to them but if you look at games one through one, one and two, they're very different. Game three is different, and like I said, four, and th- three and four kind of match up. But if you look at game number one, the Bucks won ninety four ninety. It was a complete rock fight for the Bucks. Uh, you had the Grayson Allen play that will be talked about at nauseum uh, throughout this series. I'll be pretty sick of it probably by game number two. I I don't really think it should define the series. I realize that. The NBA producers are similar to those who work at Bravo or The Bachelor, so they want to bring in all sorts of drama, all sorts of you know, storylines that aren't necessarily about basketball. So imagine that they're going to hit that hard in game number one. Imagine they'll hit it hard in game number three when the Bucks go to Chicago. That will be a big deal for a lot of things. DeRozan had 18 free throw attempts in that game. Drew Holiday was coming off of an injury. Uh, so he didn't actually play his full allotment of minutes. He also came off the bench. There was no Zach Levine in that one. The Bucks were probably lucky to get a win, but that was during the time where I felt like Milwaukee was in a little bit of a malaise. Right, Milwaukee necessarily was kind of just going through the motions in the playoffs. I heard somebody, uh, it was like a personal trainer at my gym, say the Bucks sleepwalked to 51 wins, which is. Inaccurate. That's a bad take. Like, I don't necessarily think like the Bucks sleepwalk through the season. I think there were moments of sleepwalking. I don't think that was the entire season. Like, I don't think that was what the Bucks were all year. I think there were moments of sleepwalking, but I would not qualify the entire year as a sleepwalk. So then, game number two, the Bucks win one twelve to one eighteen. It was a hyped game. Uh, it happened. I think like. Four weeks after, it was a Friday night. It was a big fucking deal. Uh, Giannis had 34 points. was awesome. Drew Holiday had a massive fourth quarter. Mids had 22 points on 9 of 15 shooting. The Bucs played their starters almost 40 minutes that night. Uh, they really wanted to win that one and they did it with a massive fourth quarter. Remember the Bulls, I think at that, I think they led by like t- t- 10 in that second, heading into the fourth and then the Bucks just overpowered them in that fourth quarter and it was a massive night for all the big three. As for the Bulls, Levine had a huge, huge night. Drozen did have 29 points, but it was on 30 free throw attempts and he only got to the line five times. That's an important thing. Keep checking that. The Bulls, the Bucks shot 33 free throws to the Chicago 11. So that really was the difference in the game. Uh, Chicago really couldn't make a ton from three and the Bucs hit a lot of free throws. The Bucs were at the line 33 times. Now, they only made 22, but still, the fact they got to the line that much matters. That's important. That's three points that the Bucs were getting, and it, a lot of it had to do with the Bucks being too big inside for the Bulls to contain. Then in game number three, the Bucs absolutely blew out the Bulls. It was 127, 126 to 95 Uh, Brooke Lopez did play. He didn't didn't do too much in this one. He had 10 points and I think six rebounds. You know, it's early for him as he was just getting back from injury. Giannis had a massive day, 25 points, 17 rebounds, five assists in 30 minutes. Drew Holiday had 27 points and seven. Coddleton and Ibaka were in double figures off the bench. Uh, It was a really good night for the Bucs. I was at that game. They absolutely pounded Chicago from the start of that game. That game was over from the start. I'm not really a fan of watching first quarters. I think first quarters are kind of overrated in basketball. Like I don't think you get a lot from first quarters. You just get mad or you get really excited and you're like, okay, I need to settle down. Uh, This was an example of one where this game was over after the first quarter. Like You just saw it. There was really no way the Bulls were coming back, and they didn't. Uh, The Bucs laid the absolute hammer on them. Uh, As for Chicago in that game, Drozen at 21 of 23. He didn't get to the free throw line at all. Vush and Levine had 22 and 21 combined. It was 22-13 when it came to free throw attempts. Uh, so Vucevic did play well offensively in that game, but he was absolutely owned by Giannis, Brook Lopez, Serge Ibaka, who again had double figures. Vucevic was an absolute non-factor in that game, even though he had 22 points. In game number four, uh, the Bucks won 127 to 106. Brook had 28 and seven was absolutely incredible. He also made nine free throws. Uh, Drew Holiday had 13 assists. Uh, Portis and Grayson Allen were in double figures off the bench. Drosen did get 40 in that game, but he went to the line eight times. I would assume he played all right in that one, being a starter. Free throw discrepancy again, pretty high. The Bucks were tw- were plus 12 in free throw attempts over Chicago. So none of those games necessarily felt like they were in peril. Maybe the rock fight, maybe the game, you know, if there's not a good fourth quarter, maybe the Bucs lose that one. But Chicago's issues has have always been against good teams. They've struggled against good teams all year. They did not be one good team in the regular season. So now you have to expect Chicago to try to upset the Bucs. And it seems very unlikely. It does not seem like Chicago has anything positive that they can take away from these four games. I think when we do this again, whether it's Boston, whether it's Brooklyn next week, or if it's you know Miami, Philly, whatever, in a, in a few weeks, I think we'll, we'll see positives for that other team. We'll see things where we're like, oh, that's a bad matchup, or I worry about this guy, or I worry about this angle. Uh, but right now, it's hard for me to look at this and not think that the Bucks have advantages all over the tail of the tape, if you will. So, you have Giannis versus Patrick Williams. I think Patrick Williams will be a factor against Giannis a couple of years down the road, but he has a long way to go. Um, and Giannis will take him to school. And this will be, you know, Giannis, you know, kind of going into playoff mode. He had a uh, Twitter post yesterday where he's like, it's about that time. So I do think Giannis is going to put up some pretty legendary numbers. It would not surprise me if Giannis has like a 40-point game or a 50-point game against Chicago. Because there's just nobody inside. Chicago has no interior defense. And if they put out Vucevic and Tristan Thompson out in the same lineup, I promise you there's going to be a lot of pain that the Bucks will hand out with that lineup. And so, yeah, I, I don't necessarily see anything from Patrick Williams that I, I like. I think he, again, he's a couple years away from being something. I know he had 19 in that game number four, but I, I think the Bucs are able to contain Williams, whether it's with Giannis, whether it's Lopez, Bobby Portis, Serge Baca. I don't expect the Bucks losing because of Patrick Williams. Wes Matthews versus DeMar DeRozan is easily the most fascinating matchup, I think, in terms of head-to-head, because... DeMar DeRozan, in the one game where it was very close, the closest game between the Bucs and the Bulls, DeMar DeRozan had 18 free throw attempts. DeMar never got close to that the rest of the way. I think it's really going to be contingent on how this series is reffed. If DeMar DeRozan gets a lot of calls, this series will tighten up. The Bulls will have opportunities to win in the fourth quarter because DeMar DeRozan is getting to the free throw line. The Bucs know they need to avoid putting him on the line. They've talked about it. They talked about it with Eric Name last week. So it's not like they're oblivious to this. And I think keeping West Matthews out of foul trouble is really important. So I'm curious to know how much he will match up on DeRozan or if they will kind of rotate guys. If it will be Holiday for a little bit. If it will be... Uh, Pat Connaughton if it'll be Grayson Allen I I think you'll see different matchups with DeRozan uh, but I do imagine that he's going to get hits he always has uh, he is a volume shooter uh, but he really had one good game against the Bucs that was the first one after that it's kind of been a bunch of trash and it's been a lot of empty stats and that's what DeMar DeRozan has been good at for his entire career like I, I'm not saying DeMar DeRozan's overrated or anything like that I'm just saying like the, remember, this guy had MVP buzz at the start of the season, which is another highlight of the ridiculousness of the MVP. You know, DeMar, to me, has always been this kind of guy. And I don't expect him to come up in a big moment. I, I know he has had some clutch moments in the past But I think the Bucs know what they need to do to make sure that DeMar doesn't factor into the last equation of the game. As for Wes Matthews, from an offensive perspective, I'm not expecting much. I'm just kind of the P.J. Tucker mentality, right? Like when P.J. Tucker was on Durant, you expected absolutely nothing from him offensively. If he's going to have to work on DeRozan defensively, I think if you get seven points from Wes Matthews, that's fine. Uh, occasional three-pointer. I'm not expecting Wes Matthews to be a guy in double figures for the Milwaukee Bucks. If he is, great. But yes, DeRozan, I I think you'd give the slight edge to, but I don't necessarily think that Wes Matthews is some schlub. I think Wes Matthews can have uh, some moments defensively against DeRozan. As for Brook Lopez versus Nikola Vucevic, to me, this is the biggest matchup because I think Brook Lopez is going to eat I think Brook Lopez is going to have a massive series. Vucevic is an awful defender. I think there is going to be a realization from Chicago somewhere in this series that they can't win playoff series with Vucevic. And they need to get a better defensive center because they're going to abuse the dunker spot. They're going to run a lot of pick and rolls with Lopez and Holiday. There are going to be a lot of involvement with Brook Lopez. If you're looking for prop stuff, Um, I would look at Brook Lopez over points and I'm not sure where they'll set it but I would take it because I think he's going to be a factor at least in game one maybe not in game two and game three when they catch up but at least in game one look at a Brook Lopez over prop because I think the guy is going to absolutely eat. Uh, Vucevic is a substandard defender he is good offensively he can be a factor But I don't really worry about Vucevic, you know, taking over a game. I mean, we've seen some big Vooch moments in the playoffs. Remember the bubble series against Orlando where Vucevic had a few moments there where he just couldn't miss from three. I think the Bucs have tightened up in terms of their three-point defense. I know there have been some struggles in the past, but I don't imagine Vucevic taking over a game from the perimeter. I think the Bucs have enough big guys to shut that down. So whether it's Lopez, whether it's Giannis, whether it's Bobby Portis, even Serge Ibaka, I think they can bring in a bunch of different guys to sort of quell that Vucevic offensive explosion. So I don't worry one bit about him. Chris Middleton versus Alex Caruso. I think mids has a size advantage there. Um, mids has, I think kind of been the quiet one of this group when it comes to against Chicago and everyone would be like, Oh, classic Chris Middleton. Right. But yeah, I mean, he, he had a really good game in game number two, where he had 22 points uh, on nine of 15 shooting. Like that's a really good middle. And I think he has uh, some fourth quarter moments there too. Um, I don't, I know Alex Caruso is a good defender, but I, I don't see it against Middleton. There's a definite height advantage there. I think Middleton is like six inches taller than Alex Caruso or at least pretty much at least three or four, and that to me is a problem when you're facing off against against a guy like Mids who definitely will take you down to the paint will definitely own you I think Caruso um, is, a, is kind of that Wes Matthews category of you, you're you there for defense you don't expect Alex Caruso to have a big offensive moment uh, the guy has been there before playoff wise I guess that's the one positive you have there they do have some playoff experience with DeRozan, Caruso, a little bit of Usovich which helps with the young guys Tristan Thompson too obviously but I, I don't expect Caruso to be a huge factor in this series Another big mismatch to me is Drew Holiday versus Ayo DeSumo. I like Ayo, or Io. I, I like Iota Sumo. I think is a good player. I wish he was a Milwaukee Buck. I know everyone the hand ring, but I'd rather have Herb Jones, honestly. If we're gonna if we're gonna do that, you look at what Herb Jones did this season. Herb Jones on this team, the Bucks, I think, would have won 65 games. But anyways, Iota Sumo, um, was you know he's a good player, but he's going to get absolutely owned by Holiday. Holiday's fourth quarters have been unlike anything this season. I think it's an underreported story, honestly, nationally. I know Holiday got some love from like Bill Simmons and Rocello and those guys, and in Vernon or not not Vernon actually. Fuck that. I know uh, KOC didn't have a ton ton there. Not I I know that there is a lot of love. Let's put it this way. I know there is love for Drew Holiday, but I think the love should be bigger. I think there should be more people talking about Drew Holiday. And it wasn't Chris Ferdinand, it was KOC, who was had an awful Defensive Player of the Year ballot uh, that did not feature Drew Holiday or Giannis on that. But, so that's Ferdinand's partner. But anyways... Holiday to me can have a massive impact in the series. Uh, you saw what he did in Game Two and Game Three against the Bulls in the regular season. I think you could see a lot similar. I think when winning time comes, it's going to be Giannis and Holiday, and those are the guys taking you home with a splash of Middleton. And to me, I O just can't keep up with holiday for a full game and Bulls fans can say well what it would be like with Lonzo I'd be fascinated to see how Lonzo's impact would be in this series but we're just not going to know and if sands and butts are candy and nuts right um if dick if my aunt had a dick she'd be my uncle you know which probably inappropriate to say but seriously like that's basically where we're at with Lonzo Ball we can't necessarily look at Lonzo Ball and say well what about Lonzo who knows right uh one of the other interesting things to wrap up with the Bucks bench Bobby Portis, Grayson Allen, Pat Conson probably your eight. And then I think you'll see a little bit of George Hill and Serge Baca. I'd love to see Javon Carter. I think Javon Carter can definitely have moments in this series. Uh, But I don't think we're going to get a Javon Carter moment, at least in this series. If he's playing, it's a garbage time. But I do think Serge Baca will be rotated in because I think the Bucs can take advantage of the Bulls' lack of size. I think they could do something where it's Giannis, Bobby, Ibaka. And it's kind of just this massive lineup with maybe Holiday and content on the outside or something like that. Like I definitely think they could go big against Chicago and overwhelm them with size. Bulls bench doesn't leave me much. Javante Green, who seems to always kind of have a moment against the against the Bucks, Derek Jones Jr., who's just a high flyer and a cheap artist. Uh, he got kicked out, or no, he didn't get kicked out of the game against Great uh, in Game Two, but he had a bad foul against Allen. Then you have Tristan Thompson and Kobe White. Tristan Thompson's washed. Kobe White, uh, he's a shooter, but I don't, I know, I don't worry about any of those guys on the bench. They don't, they don't scare me. I think the Bucks have a massive advantage. When it comes to bench scoring and what they can do off the bench with their fully loaded roster, as for intangibles, you know, I, I think the Bucks have been playing really good basketball down the stretch. The Bulls have not. Uh, like we said, the Bulls look like one of the worst teams that are in the playoffs. So Bucks should take full advantage of that. As for a final prediction, I have the Bucks in five. Um, I said it on a podcast yesterday, but I'll repeat it here. I I just it's hard for me to see the bucks sweeping the bulls basketball is weird basketball is really tough to win four straight games in the playoffs and i just don't necessarily see it um so i have the bucks in five i will say the bucks lose that friday night game in chicago um or that 12 p.m i'll go ah no I will go friday night. i'll go sunday 12 p.m bucks get a 3-0 lead they lose to chicago at home the, the fans are going to be rowdy that's going to be a awesome environment at the united center I don't think there's going to be a lot of Bulls fans there Sunday night or Wednesday night. I hope I'm I hope I'm right. I hope I have that over Mitch, uh, but we'll see. So definitely gonna talk about the series as it goes on. I'm excited to talk about it. We'll have sort of a as much of a live reaction as we can do um, on Easter Sunday at eight o'clock, and then live reaction on Wednesday around eleven. Uh, Mitch and I should be doing our podcast. I think we'll try to do Thursday after Game Two and get you guys ready for Game Three and Four. As and then we, so this is something that's different. Um, I'll announce this here um, and I'll hold myself to it as long as I'm not like out of the country or something like that or traveling. We'll have instant reactions after Game Three and Four. So Game Four, obviously Sunday, we'll probably do the reaction. We'll wait till the Brewers get done to, to post. Um, but then for game three, we will have a Saturday pot. So we're going to work a little extra uh, here, and that should be fun. Um, so look forward to that. Um, we'll have a little more podcasts for everybody uh, as the Bucks continue in the playoffs. Before we get Sammy Watkins, I should mention, thank you for putting up with my voice today. I am battling a cold, probably like a sinus infection or something dumb. Um, really kicked my ass yesterday. That's why I podcast is going up this morning versus last night. I just did not have any motivation to do the podcast last night. For those who are morning listeners, if you want to do me a favor, can you let me know if you want like an Instagram story or a tweet basically being like, hey, the podcast is going to be up late? If that's something you would like, just let me know. Um, I'm happy to oblige, happy to post that, be like, hey, yeah, we're posting the podcast in the morning versus at night. Um, I'm not going to give you an ETA because... God knows, but I still can at least give you that reassurance that you didn't miss a podcast or something. Let's move on to Sammy Watkins. So the Green Bay Packers could not let the Brewers have an opening day, could not let the Brewers celebrate 414 day. They had to go and sign Sammy Watkins. Uh, They signed Sammy Watkins to one year. $4 $4 million deal. Watkins will be joining the Green Bay Packer wide receiver core. Uh, Green Bay definitely is not an upgrade from Devontae Adams. Uh, that's not necessarily what, what we're talking about, but they needed that veteran presence. Some people thought maybe the Packers would be making a trade for Terry McLaurin or for maybe Debo Samuel. Highland realistic there. But A.J. Brown, another name that was floated around, D.K. Metcalf, But I don't think that's going to happen. The Packers do add Watkins, which is a really good add. And to me, it's a guy who's played around winning locker rooms for the last few years with Kansas City and Baltimore. Uh, Definitely comfortable in those big moments. He's had some awesome playoff stats. I think Aaron Rodgers will enjoy a guy like Sammy Watkins. I can see Rodgers and Watkins having a good relationship. Uh, Watkins' numbers, I think, are a little off because of Lamar Jackson the last couple of years. Um, he did well in Kansas City. He was never a focal point for Patrick Mahomes, but he was part of his arsenal. And I think adding guys to Aaron Rodgers' arsenal is what you want. And now you have Alan Lazard, Randall Cobb, Robert Tunyon, maybe Juwan Rinfrey. and um, I think I said Lazard. I mean, you have you have a lot of guys. You have a lot of guys there to potentially, you know, make it happen from a, a receiver perspective. Oh, I forgot Amari Rodgers um, and Malik Taylor potentially. So you do there are some other guys that are there. I don't know if Malik Taylor and Winfrey will make the team. They are special teams guys. So the question I think really will become, will the Packers replace? But it's, I have a tough time seeing Green Bay double up on receivers in the first top 100. I do think they'll draft two wide receivers, but I do think it'll only be one in the first round or second round and then look at look probably down in round four, round five for another receiver. That's kind of what I think Green Bay will do. Um, Chris Olave would be a dream. Uh, Dame Brugler had Chris Olave at 22. So if there's some smoke that Olave's falling a little bit, that would be great. But if it's not Olave and it's Christian Watson, who's been much 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 talked about uh, from North Dakota State, I'm in on that as well. Uh, if Jamison Williams falls, I think, I think the Packers could get away with Jamison Williams. I was thinking about this. We talked a little bit about it on the show yesterday. I still think Jamison Williams could be part of the Packers. Um, I I definitely think that's a guy that to me has enough there where if they're confident in his medicals, they think he can be back by October and be a factor. Fine. Fuck it. Let's, let's make it happen. Uh, Dave also had David Bell as a, uh, guy for the Packers. I think a lot of people would cringe at David Bell because he has awful measurables. The draft guys would be like, uh, Um, you know, I, I think that wouldn't really work when it came to those guys, but they would be—they get over it pretty quick. Because David Bell, to me, is a pro. I talked about it on the podcast with Murph earlier this week. Like, I think David Bell is going to be a guy that absolutely contributes for an NFL team next season. Like, that's a guy I drafted fantasy. That's a guy I would really like to kind of look forward. And I, I do think it's a forward-thinking approach. The question I think with Bell now. With the Packers, is there a lot of David Bells on this team? Like Watkins kind of has the Bell, you know, body. So does Alan Lazard, right? So it's like, how many more guys like that do you need? Are you just loading up your team with these possession receivers and have nobody to take the top off? You need to have those guys to take the top off. Now, if you were to add George Pickens or Jamison Williams plus David Bell, okay, I could probably get down with that. Um, and just, you'd, if Bell can play special teams, that'd be great. I don't think they'd have Jamison Williams gunning, but I would fucking love it if Jamison Williams wanted a gun. So I'll be interested to see how the receiver room goes out. Rogers said to McAfee that he's excited to work with Sammy. So keeping Aaron happy, um, which is always a good thing, right? Uh, Green Bay continues to kind of add and build their roster back uh, without Devontae Adams. No word yet on if Big Dog's coming back. Or if they may go to like a Kyle Rudolph instead uh, to replace Big Dog or in the draft for that matter. I think we'll have more answers on that as we get closer. But the Packers' offense looks pretty set besides adding a receiver. Um, and I will also say, just for those, for the haters, of which there are a few, who will be like, oh, now the Packers aren't going to draft a receiver in the first round. It's possible, right? It's possible that they don't draft a guy in the first round. It's possible they don't and they draft like an Alec Pierce in this early in the second round, which would be so prototypical to like Jordy Nelson, Greg Jennings, the whole thing. I think it's just going to be how the board falls. I really do. I think if quarterbacks get taken early, that helps out when it comes to like a it, right? So if you see, you know, Desmond Ritter and Kenny Pickett and Malik Willis all fall off the board before we get to 20, that's going to be a big, that's going to make Green Bay's pick more valuable because guys are going to fall. And, I, and I'll tell you, don't sleep on the idea of Green Bay moving up for an offensive tackle if, like, Evan Neal falls to, like, 12 or 13. I don't think he will, but I just – something tells me, man, that Green Bay is not going to stay put at 22. I just – I don't think they are. I think they're going to move. I don't know what they would move for when they move for Jordan Davis. I saw some other mock that had Jordan Davis and Christian Watson as the Packers' first-round first picks which would be incredible. And again, my whole thing with Davis, and I talked about this yesterday, so i sorry for repeating, but it's like if you can get a weight plan in place, I think he can be really good. So I'm not too worried about it, um, but we'll see. Yeah, I, I think the Packers. the The opportunities are endless as we get close to this draft. It's gonna, there's gonna be a ton of fake, fake things thrown around. Everybody's gonna be speculating. This is like peak speculation season. Uh, you should trust like absolutely nobody. Uh, just sort of stick to your convictions. Stick to who could be drafted. And obviously, we will react in the moment when those draft draft picks come through uh, for the Green Bay Packers. Moving on to the Milwaukee Brewers. The Milwaukee Brewers had a very successful opening day. Uh, they won 5-1. Brandon Woodruff was excellent. The Brewers tagged Adam Wainwright, I think, for all five runs. Uh, they were very impressive in terms of their offense as the Brewers kept you know, making timely hits, finding timely hits, finding opportunities to sort of take advantage of what Adam Wainwright was throwing because he just didn't have it and you don't catch Adam Wainwright on a lot of bad nights a little more often now because he's old like he's 40 years old Uh, so you do catch Wainwright on the occasional bad night they had four runs against Wainwright Uh, Drew Verhagen also gave up a run uh, in the two and a half two and two thirds innings that he worked but yeah they were able to chase Wainwright after four plus um he did not did have seven strikeouts but didn't really matter uh they they were able to tag him armor Navas with a home run as well as a double that score to run uh the brewers came up with timely hitting now like from the start really andrew mccutcheon you know runner on third two outs it's like oh here we go we're gonna waste a leadoff triple to start the game and mccutcheon drives him in mccutcheon has been great for this brewer so if i were to go with the positive take I would probably i like the timely hitting but i'm gonna actually give it to trevor gott and gustav i don't know how to pronounce his first name i did that at the review but trevor gott and and Jandel gustav Jandel, there we go Jandel gustav uh i have to give those guys credit they had four innings of work they allowed two hits uh they had three strikeouts gustav and one bad pitch to tommy erdman happens but those guys being able to basically give boxberger hater williams All day off was really good. I don't know if you're going to get Williams again today. It sounds like they might have ramped him up a little too quickly. I don't think it's a worry about injuries, uh, but I did see uh, Craig Council being like, Williams needs a couple nights off. So if the game gets close tonight, I would imagine that no Devin Williams. and You see Boxberger in the 8th and Hayter for the ninth. I don't know if they would... I'm trying to think who else would maybe be out. Hobie Milner maybe is another option. Ashby we won't see this weekend because he's going to pitch on Sunday. So Ashby's off. So, yeah, the Brewers are kind of piecing together their bullpen, figuring their bullpen out. Um, And it'll be interesting to see how they they sort of change the pen when they have to go back down to 26 on their roster on May 1st. David Stearns kind of talked about it with – Uh, Brian Anderson and Bill Schroeder about how, you know, baseball's rules about certain call-ups and everything like that, like new rules in place. You can only call a guy up, I think five times in the year. And that's something that the Brewers really kind of took advantage of. They were able to rotate guys in and out, you know, rest, pitch a guy for four or five days, then put him in AAA, rest the guy. I would imagine knowing David Stearns and knowing that he's so analytically sound, he probably has a big fucking spreadsheet going. Like, all right, here's how many times I can use this guy. And basically it all triggers. And it's like, okay, now I only have four left. Oh, I only have three left for that guy. I only have two left for this guy. Like, I definitely think that David Stearns has a plan in place here. It's just a matter of what that looks like, what that feels like. And I think they would really like if, Gott or Gustav kind of established themselves as a potential 6 inning guy for Aaron Ashby when they need Ashby to kind of make spot starts. Because I don't think you're always going to necessarily get uh, that Aaron Ashby sort of buffer zone, if you will. That Freddie Peralta Peralta memorial uh, pitching from Ashby. So I do think Gott and Gustav really are the positive take from this one. If I had a negative take, maybe Willie Adamas. Um, Willie Adamas struggled. Willie Adamas and Lorenzo Kane, right now, to me, are the two guys where I look at it and see the most struggle. Adamas, right now, hitting 222, uh, only an OBP of 300. He had two strikeouts. Uh, Lorenzo Kane off to a really tough start. Uh, with two strikeouts as well, batting 188. Uh, but honestly, like you can't really make a case for Tyrone Taylor. Like Tyrone Taylor is hitting under 100 right now, so I can't really be like, oh yeah, Tyrone Taylor deserves to be playing more, does he? I'm not sure. So I'm not ready to you know pull the plug on on Kane. I would be curious to see if they bump Adamus from that two spot, especially with the way Roddy Telez is hitting. Could you potentially get, well, you wouldn't want to go lefty, 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 but could you do something where it's McCutcheon hitting second, Yelich hitting third, and then you have Telez hitting fourth? So you do go lefty, lefty with Yelich and Telez. I know Craig Council doesn't like that, but maybe you flip Adamus to hit behind Yelich and see if that's a potential opportunity. I don't know. Um, I'll be curious to see if Craig alters the lineup at all um, just with the struggles of Adamus. I think Lorenzo Cain will just kind of keep being out there. Maybe even you see Lorenzo Cain get bumped down because Jace Peterson is oh, under hundred. He's made hard contact. I'll say that. Like Jace Peterson, I didn't, I didn't realize he's been struggling at the plate. I thought Jace Peterson was kind of ma- making a lot of hard contact, but obviously none of them worked out. Tonight we have Freddie Peralta versus Miles Mikolas. Uh, Freddie just has to be better in the first inning. Like if he can get through that first inning, that all thing, all things are gravy. Uh, but yeah, the matchup between Mikolas, who's pitched, I think, pretty decently against the Brewers in the past. I'm pulling up his splits right now. Uh, he struggled in his first start against Pittsburgh. Nicholas, uh, it was an awful road starter last year. 6, 65 on the road. Only three starts though, so small, small sample size. Did face the Brewers twice. Uh, the Brewers, he he pitched well at Miller Park, but the Brewers did tag him at Bush Stadium. So we'll we'll definitely see what happens there. From a Nicholas and the Brewers perspective, Brewers have not hit well against him, batting overall 169 against him. The only guy, only guys with home runs against him, Christian Yelich and Lorenzo Cain. Lorenzo Cain actually has very good numbers against him, so maybe this is a day where Lorenzo Cain gets going. Freddie Peralta facing off against the Cardinals. Freddy has seen some struggles against the Cardinals. The Cardinals have owned Freddie. Uh, they are... Batting 362 against Fred with seven home runs and 31 hits, so it might not be a night to bet against to bet with the Brewers. Uh, there's there's a lot of warning signs here. Uh, Auto, three home runs, Goldschmidt two home runs, the usual suspects, right uh, when you're when you're facing off against the Cardinals. But yeah, hopefully the Brewers are able to sort of buck that trend as Freddie has struggled against the Cardinals in the past. And then you have on su- Saturday, Steven Matz and Hauser. Brewers have been a little bit better against lefties to start the year. Hauser, I thought, had some moments against Baltimore, but hopefully he'll he'll be able to shine through. And then on Sunday, Easter Sunday, you have Dakota Hudson, who's coming back from injury, versus Aaron Ashby. So the Brewers throw out their lefty. Be a tough challenge for Ashby because they'll be facing off against Goldschmidt and Aaron Otto, who are arguably two of the best Guys against left-handers. So it's a game where, it's a series where you'd like the Brewers to take two. Be nice to win tonight because then you get into our favorite comment about baseball, House Money Land for the crew. So we'll see if they're able to uh, take advantage of that and get a second win and kind of feel good about the weekend. After winning two, though, selfishly, then you're like, oh, we we definitely have to get three. All right, let's wrap up today's show. Um, I'll do a quick Chuck's Corner on the notary. Um, I've teased it enough. I fucking hate the notary from UPS here in Milwaukee. Would not recommend it. The guy was absolutely clueless. I couldn't believe how incompetent this dude was. And so for those who are unfamiliar with what a notary is, you need to authorize documents. Um, usually it's like real estate shit, bank shit. Um, I, For my case, it was an I-9 for my new job. And I-9s usually are done by the HR teams over at the respective companies but I'm working remote for this new company. So I needed to do it through someone else. And someone suggested using UPS because the bank can kind of be confused about it. So I was like, all right, whatever. This guy's done it before. Guy was absolutely clueless. We couldn't, like had no idea what he was doing. Uh, He filled out document wrong, I had to redo the document. And like, I was going for, it was like over lunch and I was like, this will take me 20 minutes. I'll go over to Walgreens, get some DayQuil because I feel like ass. Like we'll, we'll take care of all of this, right? Doesn't happen. And the guy just—it's super slow. He it like takes forty minutes, and then the bitch of the beast—the thing that I really like where I was like, God damn it! Like I was like, I was gonna complain. I'm not usually a complainer. I'll, I'll I'll complain to my friends. I'll complain on a podcast, but I won't actually like go to that extra level and complain to somebody internally. Be like, hey. You gotta get better at this, especially as more people are going to the remote work lifestyle. Like, you need to be prepared for this. You need to at least know what you're doing around an I-9 document because there's serious shit on an I-9 document. It's your passport, it's like it's really critical stuff. You need to know what you're doing when it comes to an I-9 document. But the guy owns the place. So me complaining does absolutely nothing because the guy owns it. I'm like, oh my God, how are you owning this place? So in short, I probably will not be going back to that UPS. I've, I used to go there a lot for like returns for Amazon, but I will probably be looking for another UPS or if I need a document notarized, I either go to a bank or I'll go to a FedEx and we'll we'll do it that way. All right, that does it. Uh, Maybe that story wasn't as exciting as maybe I'd hyped it up to be. Um, I did get into a fight with him. I I kept my cool. I'll just put it that way. Like, I wasn't trying to, you know, be, you know, aggressive towards him. Uh, I was just sort of like, this is ridiculous. I can't believe this took 40 minutes. Like, this should have have literally taken 15 minutes. But the guy was painstakingly slow and had no idea what he was doing around an I-9 document. Okay, thanks for bearing with uh, my congested voice. Um, I had a girl I was seeing back in college, pre-wife, who said I had a great raspy voice, so maybe this is a, a soothing experience for you. Or maybe it's not, maybe it's like, God, why are you doing this podcast when you sound sick? it is what it is man you got the grind doesn't sleep you got to keep going i just hope tonight i'll actually be able to enjoy beer because like i had one i had two beers i had like a miller light for opening day because come on you have to and then i had a like a ipa and i ipa tasted like shit i was like oh god so then i actually had a whiskey that's a my dad is famously known for if you're sick you drink whiskey like i always knew my dad wasn't feeling well if he was drinking whiskey Cause he's a vodka guy, but if he's if he, it soothes your throat, it feels and actually felt a little bit better after I had the whiskey. So maybe it's a whiskey night for me. I don't know, uh, but yeah, it was. Uh, I, I just hope I get on mend and hopefully when we do the live reaction on Sunday night, I, I sound a lot better. And I don't sound uh, this congested. All right, take care, guys. Have an awesome weekend. Uh, enjoy your Easter. Um, and hopefully you spend some time with your family. Hopefully you guys are checking us out. Um, We'll be doing reviews and everything on social uh, throughout the weekend. All right, take care. Have a good one. Bye.